the duality of Jewish time, alongside the holiness of place and person, is the holiness of time, something Parshat Emer charts in its deceptively simple list of festivals and holy days. Time plays an enormous part in Judaism. The first thing God declared holy was a day, Shabbat, at the conclusion of creation. The first mitzvah given to the Jewish people as a whole prior to the Exodus was the command to sanctify time. Achodesh Exodus 12, determining and applying the Jewish calendar. The prophets were the first people in history to see God in history, seeing time itself as the arena of the divine human encounter. Virtually every other religion and civilization before and since has identified God, reality, and truth with timelessness. Isaiah Berlin used to quote Alexander Herzen, who said about the Slavs that they had no history, only geography. The Jews, he said, had the reverse, a great deal of history, but all too little geography. Much time, but little space. So time in Judaism is an essential medium of the spiritual life. But there's one feature of the Jewish approach to time that has received less attention than it should, the duality that runs through the entire temporal structure. Take, for instance, the calendar as a whole. Christianity uses a solar calendar. Islam, a lunar one. Judaism uses both. We count time both by the monthly cycle of the moon and the seasonal cycle of the sun. Then consider the day. Days normally have one identifiable beginning, whether at nightfall or at daybreak, or as in the West, somewhere between. For calendar purposes, the Jewish day begins at nightfall. Vahi Erev, Vahi Voka, Yom Echad. It was evening and it was morning one day. But if we look at the structure of the prayers, the morning prayer was instituted by Abraham, afternoon by Isaac, evening by Jacob. There's a sense in which the worship of the day starts in the morning, not in the night before. Years two usually have one fixed beginning, the new year. But in Judaism, according to the Mishnah in Rosh Hashanah, there are no less than four new years. The first of Elul is the new year for tithing of animals. The 15th of Shvat uh, is the new year for trees. There are specific and subsidiary dates, but the other two are more fundamental. According to the Torah, the first month of the year is Nisan. This was the day the earth became dry after the flood. It was the day the Israelites received their first command as, the, as a people. One year later, it was the day the Mishkan, the tabernacle, was dedicated and the service of the priests was inaugurated. But the festival we call New Year, Rosh Hashanah, falls six months later. Holy time itself comes in two forms. As Emor makes clear, the Shabbat, and then there are the festivals, and the two are announced separately. Because Shabbat was sanctified by God at the beginning of time for all time. But the festivals are sanctified by the Jewish people, to whom was given the authority and responsibility for fixing the calendar. Hence the difference in the blessings, we say. On Shabbat we praise God, who is Makadesha Shabbat. He sanctifies Shabbat. But on the festivals we praise God, who sanctifies Mekadesh Yisrael Vazmanim, Israel and the Holy Times, meaning it's God who sanctifies Israel, but Israel who sanctify 
the holy times determining on which days the festivals fall. Even within the festivals there is a dual cycle. One is formed by the three pilgrimage festivals, Pesach, Shavuos and Sukkot. These are the days that represent the key historic moments at the dawn of Jewish time, the Exodus, the giving of the Torah and the 40 years of desert wandering. They are festivals of history. But there's another cycle formed by the number seven and the concept of holiness. The seventh day, Shabbat, the seventh month, Tishri, with its three festivals, Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, and Sukkot, the seventh year, Shemitah, and the Jubilee, marking the completion of seven seven-year cycles. These times, with the exception of Sukkot that belongs to both cycles, have less to do with history than with what, for want of a better word, we might call metaphysics and jurisprudence about ultimate truths about the universe, the human condition, and the laws, natural and moral, under which we live. Each of the times symbolized by seven is about creation. Shabbat is a reminder of it. Rosh Hashanah is the anniversary of it. They're about divine sovereignty, justice and judgment, together with the human condition of life, death, and mortality. So on Yom Kippur, we face justice and judgment. On Sukkot and Shemini Atzeret, we pray for rain. We celebrate nature. The Arban Minim, Lulav Esra, Kadosim, and Aravos are the only mitzvah that we do with unprocessed natural objects. And we read the book of Kohelet, Tanakh's most powerful meditation on mortality. In the seventh and jubilee years, Shemitah Yovel, we acknowledge God's ultimate ownership of the land of Israel and the children of Israel. Hence, we let slaves go free, we release debts, we let the land rest, we restore most property to its original owners. All of these have to do not with God's interventions in history, but with his role as creator and owner of the universe. One way of seeing the difference between the first cycle and the second is to compare the prayers on Pesach, Shavuos, and Sukkot with those on Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. The Amidah of Pesach, Shavuos, and Sukkot begins with the phrase, I mean, the, the central blessing begins with the phrase, You have chosen us from all peoples. The emphasis is on Jewish particularity. But by contrast, the Amidah for Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur begins by saying, all you have made, all you have created. The emphasis is on universality, about the judgment that affects all of creation, everything that lives. Even Sukkot, as a marked universalist thrust with its 70 sacrificial bulls representing the 70 nations. According to Zechariah, it's the festival that would one day be celebrated by all the nations. So this dual cycle, why the duality? Because God is both the God of nature and of culture. He's the God of everyone in general and of the people of the covenant in particular. He's the author of both scientific law of causes and a religious ethical law of commands. We encounter God in both cyclical time, which represents the movements of the planets and the cycles of life, and linear historical time, which represents the events and evolution of the nation of which we are a part. This very duality gives rise to two kinds of religious leaders, the prophet and the priest, and the different consciousness of time that each represents. Since ancient 
Greece, people have searched for one single principle that would explain any, everything, or the single point that Archimedes sought at which to move the world, or the unique perspective of, that allows us to see truth in all its objectivity, what philosophers call the view from nowhere. Judaism tells us that there is no such point. Reality is more complicated than this. There isn't even a single concept of time. At the very least, we need two perspectives to be able to see reality in three dimensions, and that applies to time as well as space. Jewish time has two rhythms at once. Judaism is to the spirit what Niels Bohr's complementality theory is to quantum physics. In physics, light is both a wave and a particle. In Judaism, time is both historical and natural. Unexpected, counterintuitive, yes, but glorious in its refusal to simplify the rich complexity of time, the ticking clock, the growing plant, the aging body, and the ever-deepening mind. Shabbat Shalom.